HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisetail. Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with Wisetail. Learn more at wisetail.com. This week on Meet and 3, we look at the ways indoor and outdoor spaces are being reconceptualized during the pandemic to better suit new modes of living, working, and eating brought a vibrancy and an energy back to the city streets that was so dearly missed during the height of the pandemic. This is about how we can grow indoors all year round uh, using proprietary technology that we've developed. How do I have someone understand, look, don't take a next to the June berries because you can eat those. That's free food. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues. That's him. It's gonna get you some in the end. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Guys, I gotta tell you something. Um, I, I don't know if I told you this. But I, so I was recently, I was on the road for uh, almost three weeks and I, um, I got, you know, when you're in New Mexico, there's always those like big, long kind of like pepper, red pepper wreaths. They're kind of like a, you know, oh, yeah. they, they hang, hang them next to your doorway. Oh, yeah. So, so I got it. I got one of those in New Mexico for the new apartment and, uh, so I, I, you know, they're kind of delicate, right? I didn't want to have it like in a bag or something like that. So what I ended up doing, and it's about two and a half feet long. Wow. So I ended up hanging it because, you know, they're, they're meant to be hung. So I used the garment hook in the back seat of my car and I just had it. <laughs> so I had it hanging the entire, like this was from the beginning of the trip too. basically went straight to New Mexico and then kind of like slowly made the way back to the West coast. So this thing's been hanging in my car for like two weeks straight, right? And it smelled really great. But I also yeah, I had... But. I was waiting for the butt. <laughs> well, yeah. So, but but I also, like, every time I'm, you know, on the road, like, you know, in the last episode we talked about, like, eating with your hands versus, like, fork and knife. I mean, like, when you're in the car, you got to have snacks, right? You're on a road trip, kind of beef jerky, trail mix, whatever. I always have Cheez-Its. 
So when that pepper thing was sitting in my car the entire time, you know, with the sun coming in, heating up the car, got the pepper, and then, you know, I got the industrial, like, Costco-sized box of Cheez-Its for, you know, three-week-long road trip. So basically what I'm trying to tell you is, like, my car smells like queso. Like, like <laughs> it smells like it smells like the best, like, Tex-Mex restaurant queso situation. I mean, I, for the listeners out there, for those of you who are not from, like, the South, Southwest, queso dip is, like, it's just, like, melted cheese and, and, and peppers. And sometimes there'll be like ground meat or like chorizo, sometimes pork, something like that. But it's like the best thing. You know, when you go to a lot of like Mexican restaurants, Tex-Mex places in the South, they, it just shows up on your table. Like if it's old school, you just get it alongside your salsa and chips. Right. And it's gratis. You know, it's just like an amuse-bouche. Of course, a lot of places now charge for it. And a lot of places, you just it's kind of hard to find. But anyway, it's one of my favorite things in the world. And my car smells like queso dip every day now and i don't know if that's like i I need to wash my car after this trip and like vacuum it out because like some of those peppers broke and now there's like red chili flakes everywhere it looks like i had a pizza party in there but (laughs) i don't want it the smell to go away you know like it's i mean i think you know your olfactory sense is like the strongest right for like like sense memory like so like it takes me back to like like it's like I'm still on vacation, man. It's That's like I'm still on the road trip. Stop. Yeah. I suggest you get yourself one of those little muslin bags that they make for putting a you know, bouquet of herbs in your stock pot. And you crush up a few Cheez-Its and a couple of those peppers and you hang it from your rearview mirror. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, just go into the air freshener business, man. This is, a, this is an untapped I, market here. I was also really uh, holding out hope that this story was going to go to – the peppers were in the car. The windows were down. One of them broke open. My eyes got full of peppers. I felt like I missed myself. <laughs> I no. just off the road. <laughs> I thought I thought the story was going to end with so. Anyway, I ate the entire wreath and yeah, I did no, no, no. Out of peppers. <laughs> but what I did do is I I because I was driving through you know Colorado and Utah and I realized that I had to eat the entire box like family sized box of cheese it's because I couldn't leave it in the car anymore because of bears. You know, oh. the thing is like you go, you, you keep food in the car. Bears, they bears have learned how to open door handles of vehicles, both interior and exterior and interior, mostly the exterior. So the problem is like, if the problem isn't like the bears getting so much into the car, it's them getting out because they get yeah. stuck in there and confused. Some of them know how to like, open the door handles, but like, you know, especially on like modern cars are kind of like a little bit different, a little more sleek in design. They can't find them. So then they end up just thrashing the whole interior of your vehicle. And then it's totaled from the inside. So like <laughs> it's, so basically what I'm telling you is like in about like a 24 hour period, I ate a giant like obscene eight, amount like of cheese. It's eight pounds of cheese. It said 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, but, and I also feel like you need to put a disclaimer on your new like air freshener business. It's like, do not take this camping. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Animals would destroy your car if you do this. That's true. That's true. So, but the thing is, along with that, you know, you've got to have, you got to have the right beverage, right? So I found like, you know, what I, I don't know if we talked about this ever, but I, I don't drink a lot of sodas. I know, Souther, you don't. 
don't drink anything except for water and alcohol. Yep. But my thing is I love root beer. So like I, whenever I'm like traveling around, I always try to find like local root beers and I don't, I don't do a lot of caffeine. I just like the, the, the herbaceousness and like the kind of different, like sarsaparilla, you know, sassafras, like, like the herbs go into it. And like everyone has their proprietary recipe. So I bought all these different root beers and I will be, I think from now on, maybe at the end of the show, starting next week, I'm going to start doing a little root beer feature on the speakeasy. And uh, that, that will coincide with some photographs and tasting notes. Well, I mean, um, I, think, I think you could very easily mix uh, some root beer with with uh, with some of the products that today's guest makes. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, if you, I, I don't, I'm not advocating like you know the road soda, but you know, every once in a while, <laughs> when when you're on that long stretch, if you're driving down the loneliest highway in northern Nevada, like you know, there's no cops and you're driving like 85 miles an hour, and there's also no one around. <laughs> Maybe you slip a little something into that root beer to, you know. Kick it up a notch, and yeah, I mean, especially if you're not in the driver's seat. Uh, if you're that's the what I'm talking about. If you're, the, if you're the navigator, you can you got you got all the leeway in the world. That's I thought I, I thought I made that clear. Maybe I didn't. Yeah. Not driving. If you're in the passenger seat, you got three duties, right? You gotta navigate. You gotta control the music. Yep. And you, you know, you're in charge of the root beer, whether it has alcohol or not in it, and and the cheese its You got to make sure you get eat all yeah. the cheese its No more yeah, cheese its left. You're 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 it's the bear bait. Yeah, you're the music coordinator. You're the snack uh, coordinator, and you're the navigator of the, the trip. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're bartending the the road trip, basically. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, one of my favorite things to do with root beer is throw a little whiskey in there. It just makes the most sense in the world. And the one we're going to be trying today. Is especially good in a root beer. Although I doubt that that's how Paul and the gang were <laughs> really thinking about it in the R and D sessions. Uh, but who knows? We'll ask him. So, uh, Greg, why don't you introduce our our guest today? Absolutely. So, joining us today from Few Spirits in Evanston, Illinois, we have Paul Letko. Welcome, uh, man. Welcome, Paul. Well, actually, first first question: Did I do your last name right, or did I totally butcher it? Absolutely. Uh, with a name like mine, you tend to get over being upset with pronunciations pretty quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I probably yeah. say, as long as you don't pronounce it shithead. Uh, <laughs> it's a fa- uh, it's a family pronunciation. It's it's, it's a East, <laughs> Eastern European. You know, it's okay. We can. America's a melting pot. It takes all kinds. Exactly. Yep. Well, dude, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you so I'm much for this uh, this this fun bottle of rye from Few Spirits that's looking at me yep. here at my uh, my home studio. Now we're excited. Uh, it's a great new product, although uh, we obviously do not recommend uh, drinking it while driving. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Get that covered right at the yep. top of the show. You know, passenger seat only. Case legal's listening in on this one. Yeah, we're fine with mixing it with rip beer, just not when you're driving. <laughs> okay, yeah. fair enough. Okay. Well, but I mean, uh, honestly, like this this one, I like just on the nose. You know, it has the eight morals tea in it, which we're going to talk about, and it's got some similar aromatics to it that you know that kind of remind me. I think a lot of teas kind of like you know, root beer is almost like a like a sweetened carbonated tea of sorts, but I promise you, I won't mix it in while we're talking about it. Just out of respect for, <laughs> for your skills. 
I'm not worried about that. Just don't drink or just don't drive. <laughs> um, I'm in bed right now. We're all in a very relaxed state right now in our, our home yeah. studios uh, spread all over the country. You're, you're calling in from Chicago. Greg and I are both here in New York and Damon's out near San Francisco. Sure. Um, Paul, uh, talk to us a little bit about how you got yourself to the place where in 2011 you were going to open uh, a distillery in Evanston, Illinois, of all places, and and make these things. What 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 led you to that that moment? Well, I mean, I think all my life, yeah, you know, what I've really liked to do is to make and create new stuff. Um, as a former pro guitar player, owned and ran a record label for a minute. Uh, but creativity and art is what really kind of gets me excited and really gets me going. Uh, one of the frustrations in my life is that a lot of times I'm not particularly good at some of these art things, but uh, that's what gets me excited. And so on top of that, you combine this life of trying to create with a personal predilection uh, for beverage alcohol. And you got a little bit of a nice mixture. Um, and then what finally kind of kicked me over the edge to actually start a distillery was my grandfather dying. And it's a weird kind of way to start to tell a story. But uh, before World War II, his family had owned a major brewery in what's now the Czech Republic. Uh, and if you're not up on your world history, in 1939, uh, Nazis invaded Czechoslovakia. And they confiscated the brewery and murdered my entire family in the camps, with the exception of my grandfather. Fuck. Uh, and Jesus. After the war, you know, he spent the rest of his life trying to get it back, but never did. And then when he died, it kind of struck me that this family legacy is gone forever uh, unless I do something about it. And, you know, kind of that combined with, you know, beverage alcohols, really just liquid art in a glass, my love of creating and making. And, you know, this idea to get into and resurrect or rebuild or do whatever you want to do, beverage alcohol. I uh, started to make an awful lot of sense, but I didn't want to be in the shadow of a major brewery. And so trying to do something that was going to be uniquely mine slash ours uh, was far more appealing to me because it's kind of, it's the opportunity to create something new uh, and not just raise a fist at the sky and complain, why me or what have you. Uh, it was an opportunity to actually make something new and maybe even bring a little bit of create a little bit of positivity to the world. Um, you know, you needed that in 2010. We still we certainly need that today in the fall. Of <laughs> yeah, right. Of course, uh, we can all use a little more positivity. Absolutely. Uh, and so I that want, was kind of the drive. I want to roll back a little bit to to the beginning. First of all, I want to say I'm tremendously sorry to hear the tragedy that befell your family during that time of uh, in the world. Uh, it's pretty horrible. Um, but I want to roll back to what you said just prior to that, which was you have a lot of creativity and you sometimes you find that you're not good at things. Um, I, I think that's important. You know, I think it's important to know that you're not going to know what you're good at or not good at until you try it. And if you have a creative uh, urge or creative bones in your body, you're going to want to try a lot of things. And it seems to me that maybe your um, semi successes, I, I prefer to call them semi successes than failures. Your semi successes as a musician, as a record label owner, um, those are the things that you were trying. And then now you found this thing that you're, you're fucking good at. Like you're hitting it now. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it, you got to leave it all in the playing field, right? You I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible athlete, but, uh, 
or I'm a terrible musician, but I love it. You know, I still play in bands and we still kick around and there's nothing, there's nothing more personally satisfying than being in a band. And I think there's a multiple number of ways that you can create. And some of them are ways that you can get paid for it uh, because people are going to want to join you on that creative journey. And there are other ways that you're, you know, you're not going to get paid for it, but it's just as satisfying. Um, you know, creativity isn't about the observer. It's about the creator. And, you know, I'm pretty lucky that I get to create whiskey and I'm pretty lucky that I'm good enough to uh, get people excited about it. Um, I'm pretty unlucky that I love making music and I'm not good enough to get anybody excited about it. (laughs) I hear you. I mean, honestly, that's why I started this show. It wasn't, (laughs) we don't get paid to do this, but uh, you know, we love doing it and it's, it's, an artistic format. I'm also a terrible guitar player, by the way, um, but I'm I'm still collecting guitars. <laughs> uh, yeah, next time, <laughs> next time you're on, Paul, we'll get Damon to bring his guitar, and you guys can can bang out some jams. Awesome! I just yeah, got a uh, guitar made for me from uh, old whiskey barrels. It's oh, dude, excited about nice. that. And oh, uh, we're gonna have to have uh, a whole like separate episode about whiskey and guitars, Paul. <laughs> it, it worked yeah. well. Whiskey I mean, go really well together. It's probably not news to anybody. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to, I'd like to see some photos of that guitar, man. That's yeah, for sure. It's really, it's a great guitar. I actually thought it was going to sound terrible, and I was way wrong. Wait, uh, who? Just out, of, just out of curiosity, who made this for you? Uh, a luthier here in Chicagoland. Um, cool guy, uh, and this guitar is just awesome. It just, it sounds like a Les Paul. It plays like an sg and it looks like a telecaster it's it's this weird guitar and it's awesome can i get one made yeah (laughs) i highly recommend it awesome well we'll talk about that later but uh you know like as far as you know i i also like that because you know the Using the, the the used whiskey barrels, especially, you know, like with regulations for bourbon, it's like you can only use that once, right? And then, like, usually you can sell those barrels to, you know, a scotch whiskey company or a tequila company, you know, and then they age their stuff in, in the used barrels. But I'm like, man, yeah, fuck yeah, build a guitar out of it. Do something right. different. It was built, uh, <laughs> we've worked with the speaker companies, so there's some speaker cabs from our used barrel. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, uh, we've got turntables from our barrels because, wow, um, yeah, it's there, there's no limit. At the end of the day, it's oak wood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anywhere you can use oak, you can use whiskey barrels. Yeah, right. that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, and I guess again, I, that also scratches that creative itch for you, right? Yeah, yeah. I always wanted to uh, stain. Uh, I was actually talking with Nick Offerman the actor Nick Offerman, you know, in parks and recreation, he has like his, his character is like a, you know, at home woodworker, but that's what he actually did before he was an actor. And so we were talking one day, he was in the shop that I worked at in Brooklyn and we were talking about, I had this Telecaster body and I was like, you know, I'd like to stain it with like whiskey or maybe Campari or chartreuse, something with a brighter color, you know, but like something that like would take the spirit and, instill it into the wood and use that as the color right so yeah. it's kind of a 
we got we're gonna have we're gonna have to have a, a whole other conversation yeah. about guitars, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are. I mean, you know, it's not like it's not unlike uh, what Jamie Boudreaux did with the bar at Cannon. Remember, and it was even during oh, the, yeah. the Angostura shortage where he he stained the entire bar with Angostura. Uh, yeah. and, it's, and I've been there, and it's gorgeous. Um, yeah, that's that sounds like a hell of a move, man. Speaking of uh, smellovision, too, I'm sure that was just like did wonders for the aromatics on that wood, too. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah for sure. Oh, the place. Uh, for the first year, the place still smelled of you know cinnamon and cardamom when you when you walked in the door. Beautiful. Um, so, Paul, this brings you up to 2011 when you're about to crack open a few spirits in Evanston, Illinois. Uh, a good place for us to pause real quickly and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we want to hear what few's been up to since then and what you're going to get up to in the future. So, stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back on Speakeasy. This episode is brought to you by Wisetail. Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with Wisetail. Wisetail is a state-of-the-art learning management system built to engage and empower your workforce. With a modern user interface and intuitive course authoring capabilities, Wisetail has helped hundreds of businesses achieve their growth goals. Plus, Wisetail has experts on call to help you bring your vision to life with their world-class client success team. Come see how Wisetail's award-winning training platform can go to work for you. As a special offer, HRN listeners are eligible for their first month free. Learn more at wisetail.com HRN. That's wisetail.com HRN. W-I-S-E-T-A-I-L dot com HRN. Terms and conditions apply. Visit their website for more details. And we are back. You were listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, today we're talking about Paul Hletko, or talking with Paul Hletko about few spirits. Uh, when we left off, it was 2011, and you had just opened up the first distillery ever in Evanston, Illinois. And we were talking a little bit during the break about why this was, why it took until the 21st century for Evanston to get its first distillery. Why was that? Well, Evanston was actually founded as a dry town. Um, you know, the entire reason for Evanston as a city to exist was explicitly to outlaw alcohol. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as you know, Sutter, there's a, a university here in Northwestern. Yeah. Uh, and that came first. And the same Methodist ministers that started the university wanted to prevent the students at this, you know, Northwestern University from, uh, turning into uh, drunken louts, so they set up a uh, you know three mile radius around campus uh, to outlaw alcohol, which of course just meant that in Rogers Park at you know right at Howard Street, every corner had a bar and a you know and a liquor store, uh, but Evanston itself was dry, and so but back in the you know the mid to late eighteen hundreds, that meant that it was a great natural home base for the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Who drove the uh, you know prohibition agenda forward on a national basis? And there are a lot of people out there that notice a similarity with the name Few Spirits and the initials of the second head of the WCTU, uh, this woman named Frances Elizabeth Willard. Is that what it stands for? Oh my God! I feel like we've both just been bombed with knowledge. Whoa! <laughs> but what it really means that we don't make a whole lot. But there are those that see that similarity. Uh, and of course, it's a true, uh, true coincidence, naturally, and you know, of course. 
Of course, of course. Definitely not uh, <laughs> okay. premeditated or anything like that. That's wild. So hey, you- I've got a question real quick. So, you know, like they say that like with uh, with automotive racing, like as soon as the second car came off the assembly line, automotive racing was invented. As long as there was someone to race against, you know, has drinking heavily always been synonymous with college life? Like, (laughs) as soon as someone broke out a book, they they broke out a a keg. (laughs) Is that? I mean, because like I, you know, something we think of is like you know every like modern like you know there's been a billion movies about it, right? But like you know, rite of passage or whatever. Yeah, I was just thinking like you know like the the pre-prohibition era you know i don't know like i think it's because like t-shirts didn't exist you know i kind of feel like frat drinking is it has to coincide with some stupid t-shirt you know like like, (laughs) i don't know that's just my thought but well i I have to chime in here fraternities were actually invented at my alma mater in the 16 or 1700s I can't remember. Whether or not they had T-shirts, I don't actually know. But it's definitely, you know, it's it's always been pretty synonymous with, uh, I don't know, I guess probably there's something about being 19 years old and having this ability that, that wanes away from home. with every passing year. Yeah, exactly. Of being able to work hard and play hard. You know, it's like you yeah. can study for six hours straight, write an eight-page paper go out and do a couple keg stands, sleep for three hours and wake up and be like, all right, time for a jog, you know? And I I think about 19 year old Greg sometimes and and his ability to do that. And I get very envious. Uh, So probably that's it. You know, it's this, it's this thirst for knowledge and the ability to expand your mind and, uh, this outsized capacity to party with relatively few negative consequences all wrapped up in a time in your life when you're finally, you know, like able to make your own choices. Yeah. So Paul, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get back on track. Paul, <laughs> uh, I'm here for the, the, the swerve. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's 2011. You're now opening the first distillery ever in Evanston, Illinois. And you're, what was the first thing that you rolled out? You know, the first thing we rolled out was a gin product. Um, you know, we've always planned on being a whiskey distillery, and that is certainly what we are. Uh, and even from the beginning, it's what we were because it was most of what we made. Uh, but we first launched with a gin product uh, as well as a unaged whiskey. Um, Which is and- that's common, right? That's what that's what distillers have to do. You can't just make and barrel and barrel and barrel and barrel and the bills. Yeah, you got to get some bills paid. You can't just stack it up and let it because it has to has to age before you sell it. So yeah, it's, you got to make some stuff that doesn't have to age so you can get some revenue. Yeah, it's always tough, and you certainly. Uh, I started off not being, shall we say, independently wealthy, uh, and so uh, you know the cash flow and being able to stay in business was super important. And I was not able to rely on whiskey sales to keep our doors open for several years. So you're saying uh, your dad did not give you the million dollars that all of our dads gave us? Yeah. <laughs> what uh, a cheapskate. No, my dad's a pretty good dad. Uh, don't get me wrong, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, we have not been. Uh, uh, he wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, in my life, I've got some advantages. I've got some disadvantages. But uh, uh, you know, I never missed a meal or anything growing up. But we weren't exactly going to get a uh, ten million dollar donation from my dad so I could start buying apartment buildings. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's what I was referring <laughs> to. And and yeah, and, and never have to pay it back. 
claim you do, but don't actually pay it back. Um, so you rolled out the, the gin and the unaged spirit as you were obviously barreling and aging more spirit. Talk about yeah. like what sort of a tightrope that must be to walk as just a business person in general. Well, it's really tough. I mean, obviously the capital, you know, whiskey is a very capital intensive process. Um, but, uh, you know, we did what we did. You know, we're very proud of the fact that we don't source any whiskey. And we're very proud of the fact that we've never sourced any whiskey. Uh, every drop that we make is, is in fact ours. It's something that gives us a lot of pride. Uh, we're not going to throw stones at anybody that doesn't do it that way. Uh, but this is what we do. You know, we get, I didn't get into this business to push paper across desks and look at spreadsheets. Uh, yes, that's what I do a lot of the time, but uh, that's business. Uh, you know, I got into this to actually make whiskey. And that's what we do. We, you know, we make whiskey. And you know, over the last you know nine nine years and change, we've been pretty lucky and been able to grow. Uh, received an awful lot of uh, critical acclaim. Our sales continue to grow, and you know it's been pretty fun. You know, I get to travel, I get to see the world. Uh, at this point, few spirits are available in fifty states, thirty six countries across five continents, and yeah, I'm pretty proud of the team that we have that makes that possible. I can imagine because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's tasty juice and it's innovative juice. And that, that's one thing that I wanted to ask about because, you know, when I think of few, I think of, you know, uh, you know, the breakfast gin, I think of, uh, your cold brew whiskey. And I feel like, you know, the, the business school approach to, you know, making money and keeping the lights on while you wait for your whiskey to age is to play it a little bit safe, you know, like don't do anything, don't rock the boat too much. But, you know, you guys, your part of your brand is building these slightly more experimental uh, products. And sort of, I, I guess I, I guess I want to know where the, it's. it sounds like that's probably born from that same creative spirit we were talking about earlier of like, I don't want to just do something that someone else has already been done. I want to put my own stamp on this. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, it, I get into this to make whiskey, not to copy what somebody else does. And we, you know, we want to make stuff and uh, some would say I suffer, but I really much prefer to think of it as enjoy a raging case of ADD. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of the, you know, one of the curses of that is that it makes it challenging to, you know, make the same thing day in, day out. But, you know, by, you know, trying to innovate and create new stuff, that's what makes me able to, you know, stay, you know, stay in my lane and make, you know, make the stuff that keeps our lights on. Well, uh, I imagine there's a lot of similarities to the music world, right? Because like, for instance, it, I mean, it must've been just to start out, it must've been crazy to like, you know, when you, when you hear yourself recorded for the first time and you're like, well, it was weird. It must've been crazy to like taste your very first distilled spirit out of a bottle. Right. And yeah, then like really, when you go through this process, when you go through this process of like recording, like it's not, you know, those couple days of tracking your guitar parts and singing, you know, that's one thing, but then you've got the whole week of mixing and mastering. That's kind of like <laughs> the distillation versus the aging process. You know, there's a, there's a lot of similarities and it does make you go a little stir crazy. So I understand the ADD element there. But it's that, yeah, we, uh, I like to say that we try to take a jam band approach to making whiskey. Yeah. It's good. It's going to be played differently every show, right? A little bit. Right. Um, and you get to improvise and sometimes we improvise with stuff that really doesn't work very well. Just like, you know, if you're in a jam band, sometimes your improvisations, your improvisations 
just simply don't work. Yeah. Uh, other times you come up with uh, something that turns into the immortal rye. And, right. and it's glorious and it works and it's magic. And it's those, you know, I mean, not to, uh, not to cross mill use or anything, but it's kind of like chasing that dragon. Um, yeah. You know, with that, you know, once you feel that joy, like you try this, like, oh, that's magic. You know, whether you're hitting the peak note when you're playing or, you know, you get the perfect guitar tone when you're in the studio or you get this harmony of flavors in the glass, you know, that, that moment is magic. And it's, you know, I'm not a bartender, I'm a terrible bartender, but I would like to think it's a little bit like that when you're, you know, you're improvising, you're making a new cocktail, um, you know, if you're good as you guys, maybe you succeed five times out of 10. Um, but most people probably succeed one in 20 or one in 30. I'm a strong, like 110, you know, like I, <laughs> I, I do so much that I have to give perfect recipes away yeah. to other bartenders. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's the joy of the creativity, right? You know, if you never, if you never fail, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, that's kind of what I was yeah. referring to in the first half of the show. You know, like, yeah, you you did a bunch of things that you feel like you again semi succeeded at, and now you found the thing that you really succeed at. I do want to ask you though, uh, where what what was it that made the turn? Did, do you have education in distilling, or did you just say I I want to I want to fucking crank up a still and make some booze? I think it's a hybrid. I mean, I don't really have any quote education in distilling, um, and. Honestly, I don't learn very good from books anyways. Uh, I really learn from doing. Um, I do have a little bit of benefit of homebrewing for about 20 years. So, you know, I understand mashing. I understand fermentation. I understand sanitation. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that I understood better when I started that I think a lot of people might understand mm -hmm. and understand them in a real world environment rather than a, uh, a school book. But I'd never run a still. Uh, obviously, that's a felony. I would never do that. That's, I'd certainly never do anything in my basement. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a long statute of limitations, in case you were wondering. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's that experimentation. That's what, again, that's it's that creativity and the fun, and you know, learning how to you know starting from scratch and trying to learn how to mash and ferment. And distill all at the same time, I think, would be a much harder task than trying to learn how to distill. So um, when you were when you when you were like hoisting up the capital to do this, you had this idea like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna open up a, a distillery in Evanston, Illinois, the, the least likely place in, in the United States anyway. Um, and and I've never what you said I've never run the still. Um, who did you turn to to say I'm looking for a capital and B maybe advice? Did, were there any distillers that you like sat down and chatted with or? Yeah. I mean, we've, I certainly started developing friends relatively quickly ranging from our friends over at Koval uh, to people who were a little bit more established in the whiskey world. Um, I became pretty comfortable with a lot of the distillers that were doing similar things that I wanted to do uh, at least back in the day. Uh, we're talking about friends like, you know, Corsair. We're talking about St. George. Uh, we're talking about Smooth Ambler. Um, and some of these guys who are, you know, and continue to be absolute rock stars in this world of craft distillation. And I'm just, you know, I'm truly honored that, you know, I get to call several of them actual friends. And that's, 
you know, that's something that's really cool to me. Um, but you know, kind of there's things that you can learn. And so there's, there's style things that I learned from this guy or style things that I learned from that woman, um, about how they do things. But I think a lot of distillation, or at least the way we distill a few is, you know, first you learn the rules, but you learn the rules so you can break them. Yeah. And, uh, there's an awful lot of rules of distillation that we, uh, very gleefully, uh, disobey. Uh, but that's, that's what makes us, us. And, you know, you can't break the rules unless you know them. And we, we do know the rules. Uh, we just don't particularly care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's a not, that's, that, that's, that's not an uncommon philosophy or approach. And, you know, obviously again, your successes speak for themselves. It's working for you and it's great. It's great stuff. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's a tough world out there. And like I always say, you can't compete with large distilleries, uh, with bad product, you have to have a great product, but you're not going to out quality a large distillery. Uh, you got to have that quality and make it different and make it interesting. And it has to be differentiated. And so that's kind of where our focus is. You know, how do we differentiate our products or our whiskeys from fill in the blank major brand? Uh, they make whatever the, you know, pick your favorite Kentucky bourbon, uh, you know, there's three of you guys. I'm sure you guys have three different favorite Kentucky bourbons, uh, <laughs> and as do I. Uh, but odds are pretty good that all four of us have different favorite Kentucky bourbons, and we're all correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, I just want to make, you know, I want my whiskey to be somebody's favorite whiskey. And, you know, the best way to do that is to make sure that I have that quality and to make it different. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a, a sensible approach to doing anything, you know, it's like, don't try and replicate the success of, you know, don't, don't try and build a search engine that's exactly like Google, you know, like find your own thing that you're good at and, and, you know, really, you know, say, okay, this is what I can bring and I can bring my unique stamp to this corner of the market. It's a bit, it's a big market. It's a big table, like, and this is my corner of it and I'm, going to be awesome at it i think that's a great approach yeah and if you have a uh, if you have like a small a small storefront bar it's going to be hard to compete trying to sell uh you know bud light for three bucks a bottle uh whereas maybe you can turn that small bar into say for example a, a bitters emporium hey huh <laughs> that's a pretty good what, what idea kind of idiot would do that yeah, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds crazy <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's an idea that I would pursue in earnest. Um, yeah, exactly. Differentiate yourself and 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 be what you are and be staunchly what you are. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, I can't necessarily uh, join the conversation at this moment, but let's talk a little bit about the expression that Greg and, and Damon are sipping on. Um, sure, that's, so, that's a new one, right? Yeah, so we just launched our new rye whiskey uh, called the Immortal Rye. And we're real excited about it because, A, it's a delicious product, which is you know, always number one. Uh, but, two, we're really excited about some of the stuff that we do to make it taste uh, the way it does. And what the Immortal Rye is is the you know, few straight rye, uh, the same rye whiskey we've been selling for many years, Craft Whiskey of the Year from Whiskey Advocate, uh, gold medal here, gold medal there. And, you know, it's the number one selling Grand de Glass uh, craft rye in the United States. Uh, but we take that rye whiskey, and as you guys know, when whiskey comes out of the barrel, you add water to bring it down to bottling strength. 
but with the immortal rye, instead of using water, uh, we use a cold extracted tea. And the tea that we use is a cultivar called Eight Immortals. Uh, it's a very fruit forward black oolong tea, partially fermented. Um, and it's this really delicious tea. Uh, very, very fruit forward with a really nice kind of tannic backbone. And when used in this way, it really augments a lot of the fruit flavors that we get in the standard few rye while adding in different fruit flavors, as well as adding in a little bit of a tannic backbone. It's not really astringent per se, but it's got this backbone that has a really nice dry note to it. And again, these things all play really well with, you know, the few rye whiskey. And we think it's a really neat, very cool product uh, and as we also think it's the kind of thing that a whiskey drinker can come back to time and time again, that, you know, when you, you know, when you drink it, you're going to get some flavors that you're not going to get in other products. And it's not just some gimmicky, Hey, look what I can do. Um, yeah. I think there's a risk in innovation when it's just kind of like, Hey, look, I can do a stupid distiller's trick. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I've always been of the of the mindset that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. <laughs> but it's very well, I, yeah. I mean, I I like it because I've always you know I've always thought that the the spiciness of rye lends itself well to mingling with botanicals, and I love like you said, it's a little it's a little um, it's got some fruit notes, it's got some tannins, and you can taste the fact that there's some uh, yeast action going on there. Then that it's lightly fermented too, it really gives it an interesting um, complexity, which I think lends itself well to rye. And uh, I, I want to—I also want to ask before I, we get to the end here, you have another expression just to bring it back to what we were talking about about rock and roll earlier that you did with Allison Chains. Is that correct? Yeah, so, um, so again, former pro musician, etc. But uh, we love working with uh, musicians, you know, like Allison Chains. Uh, we worked with the Flaming Lips before. Uh, just last week, we signed uh, a new, uh, ma- you know, pretty major rock band that we're going to be releasing a new whiskey with this spring. Uh, we've worked with record labels. We worked with is the that, rock is that, band. Is that, a sec- is that a secret? Is that why you're not telling us? Um, but I don't know how secret it is, uh, but a band called Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Oh, yeah. Cool. Nice. Uh, I'm actually from Oklahoma, so the Flaming Lips are like buddies of mine. And I, when I saw that that label come out, I was really excited. Just got to throw that out there. Yeah. Really cool. <laughs> no, it was a fun uh, – you know, it, it's fun, and I think you get really – you know, working with musicians, you get a different vibe. You know, I think uh, – you know, sometimes the most interesting things come into fields from outside the field that, you know, bringing somebody who's not a whiskey maker into the whiskey world can help create really interesting things. Yeah, uh, sure. You have to know the rules in order to break them. Uh, but working with a band that doesn't know the rules, you know, I do know the rules. And so we can break the rules together. Sure. Or sure, they may just simply suggest something that's so outlandish because they're so ill aware of the rules and you can say, I, I do know the rules and here's why this will or won't work. And, and here's, here's how, how we can do it. it. Here's how we can right. pursue it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. They I, worked with one band. They wanted to have the strongest whiskey on the market and they wanted to have a whiskey 
Uh, that was 190 proof. <laughs> well, right? shit. That's vodka. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not really whiskey. But again, they don't know the rules. Right. And say, so okay, well, okay, if that's what you want, what you you're saying, you want something that's really strong. Do you mean strong alcohol content? Do you mean strong flavor? Do you mean strong packaging? What does strong mean to you? Right. Oh, yeah. I really wanted a strong flavor. Oh, okay, okay. Here's what you know. Yeah, here's let's, how we let's move you. the conversation that way. Um, because the image that you may have may be diff- the, the image you think you have might be very different than the image you actually have. Right. right. I you also that- probably don't want the strongest whiskey on the market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's like 190 proof. Yeah. Separate issue. That's you. I, I've got nothing wrong with the Everclear, but uh, yeah. Everclear is not exactly a few product. Yeah. <laughs> um, I see that you have this new expression, uh, the Eight Immortals. You've got, uh, you've got uh, your breakfast tea gin, um, and then you've got uh, a coffee uh, product as well that Greg just mentioned. Uh, are, are you a big coffee and tea drinker in your in your yeah. non whiskey time? Uh, I'm a huge coffee drinker. Um, I uh, coffee doesn't really affect the caffeine doesn't really affect me. It just kind of evens me out. Um, but uh, we you know we've got an amazing team at Few, and so while I drink coffee, uh, a lot of the people at the distillery primarily drink tea, including uh, kind of my right hand man's guy Stephen Kaplan who is one of the more brilliant people you're ever going to meet in your life. Creative, smart, uh, all the fantastic adjectives you can come up to talk about somebody else. Uh, but most importantly, he's a hell of a dad. Um, and uh, Steven's a major tea drinker. And so we get to play around. Yeah. Nice. Incorporate the things you love. Yep. You know, um, so, something I really like about this whiskey and like, I'm, I unfortunately like don't I can't do caffeine anymore, so I've got to like take it easy. I, I was well. First of all, I wanted to ask what the content is uh, caffeine wise for something like this when you incorporate it into whiskey. Does so we, alcohol kind of like to, negate any of it, or we we haven't actually tested it for the actual caffeine content, uh, but in the entire seven hundred and fifty mil bottle, there's about a cup and a half of tea. Okay, so. If, you, if you're getting enough caffeine from this product uh, to worry about, you're probably drinking more alcohol. Than, <laughs> yeah. The alcohol is the problem. You got other problems. But one yeah. of those two it's compounds alcohol. is going to win the race. Yeah. We, well, we don't recommend drinking an entire bottle of this at a sip at a yeah. sitting. You know? <laughs> well, what I was going to uh, say about a whiskey like – Oh, sorry. I was going to say about a whiskey like this, like some of my favorite whiskeys these days are, you know, like – uh, some of the Stranahan stuff, like uh, the the Riegers Kansas City whiskey that has a little bit of sherry. Love, you know, like I, I love these whiskeys that have something. You know, and it's it's cool because it's not like they're flavored whiskeys, right? By any like it's not like a flavored spirit of any sort, but it's just incorporated. It's more thoughtful. It's playing with the flavor of the whiskey rather than stacking a flavor on top of a spirit like a, a flavored vodka or something right but i just it's kind of like almost in a way it's like like the coolest bottled cocktail that you can put out there you know it's like yeah, i can take like, this bottle camping with me and just bring a cup you know <laughs> like right. i don't have to bring anything else <laughs> or not a cup you know just out of the bottle in rest sitting 
I mean, I think the important thing with whiskey, just like all spirits, is what's in the glass. Mm-hmm. And you know, neither the you know neither the Immortal Rye or the Cold Cut Bourbon are quote flavored whiskeys. You know, they're both legally something called DSS. Mm-hmm. Uh, just you know, it's probably a little inside baseball, but uh, I you know there is no sugar added. There's no chemical flavoring. There's no you know there's no preservatives. There's no nothing you that you wouldn't serve your mother. Yeah, as long as you like your mother, um, <laughs> it's all, it's all just right there. And it tells you right there on the label. What's, you know, what's in it? Well, it's, it's rye whiskey with eight immortals tea. That's it. Uh, it's 93 proof. It's not watered down. It's just, it is what it is. Right. And I think that's, uh, to me, that's a little bit refreshing to see uh, truth in labeling. Absolutely. Yeah, um, Paul, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you and talk to you more about this or just to engage with the brand in some way, you got a you got a presence on the inter- internet you'd like to pimp out a little? Yeah, sure do. You know, you can find us at fewspirits.com. You can find us on all your social medias, uh, just at few spirits on Facebook, Twitter, as well as the ever loved uh, Graham. Um, yeah. I think we're there on pin- on Pinterest too, but uh, I don't really understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you got a TikTok? Come on. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not 12. Um, <laughs> although I will say, uh, my kids' uh, TikToks that have me appearing in them dancing get more likes than their regular TikToks. Yeah, they're laughing. They're laughing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they love that. <laughs> yeah, they're laughing at oh, you. Hear about that yeah. a lot. Don't worry. Dad, get out of my screen. <laughs> yeah, no, now. Like, Dad, can we do a TikTok together? <laughs> That's cool. Like, I'm actually useful to a teenage girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, every dad's dream. Um, well, man, it's been really great talking to yeah. you. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'm sure that you and Damon are probably going to get together offline and talk guitars and, and play yeah. music together <laughs> and maybe, maybe put, put together some kind of crazy-ass uh, whiskey and tea drinking guitar playing tour. Um, <laughs> it will all be ready to... Uh, hey, we just call that tour, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's a word for that already yeah. uh, but yeah, get in the van and bring the whiskey just don't drink the whiskey while you're driving that's right, right. Uh, full circle conversation there with Paul Holetko from Few Spirits in Evanston, Illinois just outside of Chicago man really great to have you on and very informative episode and, uh, I'm really excited to get a hold of a bottle of this stuff uh, and, and, and taste it uh, I got the weekend off so I'm going try to and, try and get some drinking done <laughs> nice Thanks, guys. Yeah. So that's it for the Speakeasy. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Uh, Go check out Souther on his weekend off and try some of this whiskey with him. (laughs) Yeah. Until next week, everyone. Cheers. 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 Thanks so much. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to the Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. 
Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.